I had so much outsourced all my decision making that once I left, I literally felt like a child because I was so scared. You know, I'm a full grown man, you know, in my 40s. And I was literally terrified to make any important decision on my own because I didn't know how to do it. I just didn't know how to do it at all. Yusuf Azar's 13 years with a Sufi religious group turned from a fulfilling spiritual and cultural experience to something far darker. I'm Elizabeth Pearson Gar, and on this episode of the Experience Podcast, Yusuf shares what it was like to be in a cult and what it was like to leave it. Hi, Yusuf. Thanks for being here on my podcast. I appreciate you joining me. Oh, Elizabeth, thank you so much for having me. I'm grateful to you for being here because I'm sure this was sort of a painful period in your life. And so for you to even consider revisiting it with us, I appreciate you doing. I appreciate you saying that. And you're right. It was a very painful part of my life. But I like to talk about this with people mainly because I feel like I don't want anybody else to go through what we went through because it was was very traumatic for me and my family and um, I feel like you know if people don't speak out about these types of things then it'll probably just repeat itself. I think you're brave to go out and speak about it so let's go back a little bit and talk a little about how you got into this group initially and what about it appealed to you? So the way it started was I'm Muslim. I come from a Muslim background and, and my family is kind of religious. They don't come from like a super duper religious background or anything, but you know, they were kind of practicing. And when I turned 15, I decided to be religious myself. I read a translation of the Quran and, and it really resonated with me. And so through the years, I came to the conclusion that I, I need to be part of some larger community. And I got into it like political Islam and I stayed with that for about 10 years. But what I realized was at a certain point, it's just not fulfilling for me at all. Like it was just all about negativity and the news and just not that we should ignore it, but it was just kind of wearing away at me. And I was looking for something more spiritual. And I knew that there was just another whole stream within the Muslim community that's much more spiritual. And so I started tapping into that and I liked it. I, I was less like, wow, this is great. I feel so much better. And, you know, they're telling me I, I don't actually have to worry about all the problems in the world and I can kind of worry about myself. And and that really resonated with me because I needed that at that time because I was just feeling like I'm feeling very empty. And so some of my friends introduced me to this uh, Sufi sheikh. So the idea of Sufi Muslims is that they're more, like I said, on the spiritual side of things. They focus more on your relationship with God. In Arabic, we say Allah. So I heard about this particular Sufi sheikh from Pakistan. And I started kind of studying him. And he had lectures online. And I started listening to those. And I really liked him. And he has still a representative in Chicago. Uh, in Arabic, it's called Khalifa. I ended up meeting both of them. And they just blew me away. Especially the one from Pakistan. Like, he was very, very charismatic. Much older But, oh my God, he knew how to just really reach into people's hearts. The first time I met him was at somebody's house. He he came to speak. Uh, He was visiting from Pakistan. There was probably 30 men there. The whole room was just bawling like like babies, including me. It was just so intense. He was describing the Day of Judgment and, you know, just all these very intense scenes. And I was just like, what just happened here? You know, like, this is amazing. I've never experienced anything like this. And I just loved it. And... The more I got to know the group and more, the more I spent time with them, 
I just was just like, yeah, this is what I need. I, it's making me feel really good. And I feel like I'm improving my relationship with Allah, with God. They taught me meditation techniques that uh, helped me focus. If I came to them with problems with my wife, let's say, or at work or almost anything, they would give me advice and it was pretty good advice. Like I would follow it and it would help me. And so I was just like, wow, this, this is the best thing that's ever happened to me. <laughs> so I, I just fell in love with it. It was interesting you said you were really hurting and kind of feeling empty at the time. I've read about and seen some documentaries about various cults from different religions. And that seems like such a common theme that, you know, you're searching, you're needing something. And of course, that's just like a human condition, right? We all have hard times. We're all hurting and um, yearning at times. And I wonder if that's something they kind of look for and then in a very slow, um, methodical way, almost try to kind of draw you in because they can't pounce and be too aggressive because that would scare people off. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's exactly the case. Uh, So I kind of gave you all the buildup to it, but I forgot to mention one of the most important factors was in addition to the, you know, that feeling of emptiness and and yearning, as as you said, and and I think you're exactly right that this is a human thing. Everybody goes through that. What happened in my case was that my wife and I, we already had two kids. They were both really young. Our third child died at about 19 days old. He had what's called trisomy 13. As you can imagine, I mean, that was really devastating. Absolutely heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, so that happened right when I had just started meeting them and, and getting involved. And so that was just perfect timing because they did help me with that. They helped me cope with it. And that's what really pushed me over the edge. And I was like, wow. I mean, they've been helping me with little things. And then now they even help me get through the death of my baby. Like, who can do that? Yeah. You know? But I think you're right. People do have, a lot of times they're vulnerable for one reason or another. And then, bam, they show up you know, and save the day. And you're just kind of loyal to them. So you joined up and you were a part of this group. Did it really change your life for the positive for a period of time? It absolutely did, yeah. You know, for the first time, my wife and I just stopped having any arguments at all, like dead stop. The Khalifa I was working with based out of Chicago, he's just a year older than I am. When the baby passed away, he's the one I went to and for everything else. So like I keep bringing up marital issues up until that point, you know, my wife and I, we had arguments and disagreements, which I imagine, you know, many couples do. But in this case... Anything that came up, we would go to him and he would just listen to us. And I'm talking about minutes. He would just listen to, to both sides. And it was very quick. And he would just say, okay, do blah, blah, blah. And we would just do it. Now, 90% of the time, he would side with my wife. And, oh, is that right? Oh, I was absolutely. wondering if maybe it was almost sort of a male-dominated no, 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 no. culture. No, no, no. In fact, but I'll tell you why, though. It's, it's a very interesting reason. What happens is that it's a lot of breaking people down. So this was just one of many ways that he broke me down. So there's a constant sense of like, oh, you're a sinner. Oh, you've done this wrong. You're like this. You're like that. And it's all negativity. And we internalize that. Now, in the beginning, it's great. You're just like, oh, perfect. He's solving my problems for me. You know, I'm not arguing with my wife anymore. But over time, it wears on you, right? I am nothing. I'm, I'm actually nothing. I really am worthless human being. They would compare us to dung. They would just be like, you know, dung is better than you because dung you can use to grow plants and stuff, but you guys are useless and you guys are so terrible. They would say that, you know, I can't even believe your, your wife stayed married to you guys and that kind of stuff. So it's constant berating. 
and then the only way you can feel better or get better is to listen to us. It's kind of not only circular. Yeah, yeah. Not only listen to them, but your whole life becomes revolved around what will make the sheikh happy. When the idea in Islam is like you're submitting to God. I mean, that's the whole point of it, oneness of God. I mean, that's the, the whole essence of the faith. Yet now here comes the sheikh and everything in practical life in that relationship your obsession becomes the sheikh and what you know what will make him happy or unhappy the assumption is that by doing that you're going to progress and, and improve your life other than your work was your whole life pretty much wrapped up with this group i mean your social life and obviously your religious life and everything you did culturally was it pretty much this cult it sure was what ended up happening was after I met him and, and formally became his student, I had been asking my wife, hey, let's move to Chicago. He's helped us so much. And she was kind of resisting. But then once the baby passed away, she told me later on what happened was that she was just so devastated by the baby passing away. She didn't care about anything anyway. She was yeah. like, what? I don't care. Go to Chicago anywhere. Yeah. So, like, I'll take help wherever I can get it. Exactly. I, mean, I think that right. would be a really common reaction. Right. Exactly. So once we moved to Chicago, we stayed there for 11 years, and our whole life definitely was just revolved around this group. Like you said, that's a good way to put it. Other than work, everything outside of that. <laughs> but even at work, I was getting guidance from him, career planning and stuff like that. So it permeated, like, from which car should I buy? What kind of haircut should I get? What kind of shoes should I get? Like, it was everything for me. So you turned over a lot of decision-making to this shake. That is exactly right. And that was one of the biggest difficulties I had when I ended up leaving. Because what I had not realized through that time was that I had so much outsourced all my decision making to him that once I left, I literally felt like a child because I was so scared. You know, I'm a full grown man, you know, in my 40s. And I was literally terrified to make any important decision on my own because I didn't know how to do it. I just didn't know how to do it at all. And, well, also what, emotionally, he had reduced you to that exactly. by telling you yeah. you're worth nothing. You're not equal to your wife and all of this. No, that's so exactly it's no right. wonder. Yeah, yeah. No, that's exactly what it was. And I was so used to like any decision that I have to make, I would go to him tell the situation and usually a lot of times through email or once in a while th through a phone call or something like that he would tell us what to do we would do it and that's just our, how our family functioned for about 13 years it's just sort of like a muscle like you don't use it for 13 years like what's going to happen right and so when I left and I started speaking about it and people contacted me who were in the group still one of the worries was how are we going to make decisions if we leave him they would be like I, I get it you know something's wrong here but we go to him for all our decisions so what are we going to do if we leave him I mean, that's the level of dependency. It's kind of like evil genius, how they structure this. Oh, and I'm absolutely. not just saying the people that you were with, but I think it's, a again, a common theme in cults of this, you know, break you down and then become dependent on us. And so you don't have anywhere else to turn. Yeah, 100%. That is exactly right. That's exactly what the what our situation was. Yeah. What is it that transpired to make you want to leave? Because it sounds like there was a lot of things that were a little demoralizing or dehumanizing and then what happened that clicked and you thought i'm out yeah yeah so let, let me let me answer that in two parts the, the reason i stayed in spite of all the demoralizing stuff and, and the negative stuff was that there was a sense that we're doing this for your own good 
and I just bought into that wholesale. I was just like, yeah, I trust you. You've helped me with certain things and you know, you're religious. And they have this concept called NISPA, which means connection. And even they say, oh, it's hard to define this term, but it's this thing that we have. And so the idea is that the sheikh and whoever they've decided fits this description is connected to Allah. So the nisba is to Allah, to God. So now what that does is that means that there's this assumption that whatever the sheikh is doing is based on that connection to God. And so it's special. Like, for example, if I just go to a random doctor and the doctor gives me some advice, that's just that doctor using his or her experience and knowledge. But if I went to the sheikh, they're not only using their knowledge and experience, they actually have this special relationship with God. So it's something different. It's something sort of holy almost. So all the demoralizing and all the, all the negativity and all these things, you know, when you look back, it's, it's so obvious that they were, you know, doing all these mind control things. Right. But at the time it feels like, yeah, hindsight's 2020, but (laughs) when you're in it, it's different. Exactly. Exactly. So that's how we went along. And, and, And like I said, I had completely bought into this and it had been 13 years at this point. I remember vividly, it was 2016. It was around the time that all the Trump stuff was going on too. For me personally, I found that time period very stressful. Uh, So that was going on in the background. And then I'll just tell you the story of how it happened. My wife and I had just had our 20th wedding anniversary. So I took her to New York for a weekend. And and so I was just kind of on this high. I was just like, wow, that was such a great weekend. We had so much fun in New York. Um, So Monday I'm at work and my wife calls me and she's like, hey, I just heard that... um, the Khalifa, the representative, left the main sheikh. And I'm like, what? That doesn't make sense. Like, it just, in my mind, it was like, that's not even possible. Like, how could mm-hmm. that even, does not unimaginable, you know? And she said, no, uh, I know it sounds weird, but I got a call from um, the student of a different representative, but also representative of the same sheikh, and said, hey, you know, since our two representatives have both left the, the main sheikh, who is the new sheikh? that your representative is now following. I know that's getting a little confusing. Does that make no, sense? No, I've, I've got it. That makes but sense. it's like the guy at the top. Right. They've left him. Exactly. And so now they're saying, who else should we follow? Exactly. But that's kind of huge news because you've been following someone who's been following the guy at the top for so long. Exactly. So it, we were just super confused. So as with any issue, we would go to the sheikh. So I called him and then I said, hey, this is what I heard. And he was like really annoyed. He was just like, how did you hear this? How, why are people talking about this stuff? But then he finally said, yeah, it's true. I did leave him. And there's some stuff that he did. And don't dig into it. Don't try to find out about it. Don't ask Ooh, questions. Cover up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Don't ask anything. And he said, it's one of those things. If you find out about it, it's the kind of thing that could make you lose your faith. And now I'm like really confused. Like what in the world? Like my whole world's being turned upside down here. And he said, um, look, just hang tight, and I'm going to announce some options. And that was it. We were done with the call. And now, now I'm like totally confused. Like, what is going on? What could you have possibly done that's so bad? This is the guy who changed my life, who I believe has a connection with Allah. <laughs> and, you know, who's like the gift to me from Allah because, he, you know, he's helping me get connected to Allah and all this stuff, right? So I, I did hang tight, I, you know, because as a good student, I was trying to listen to my, uh, to my teacher. So, you know, he had like a weekly gathering that he would give a talk at at the mosque. And then he would also in those days did a um, once a month talk at a different mosque. And like I said, we were just totally devoted, like our whole life revolved around these guys. So we went to everything. 
And every single gathering, I would sit there and I couldn't even focus on what he was talking about. I was just like, when's he going to talk about this? When's he going to address it? And months passed by, he didn't say a word, nothing. It's the elephant in the room and he's not even addressing it. Exactly. And I'm just like, what is going on? And I finally couldn't handle it anymore. I was just like, I can't, I just can't take it. Like my mind's going nuts, just, just filling in, you know, the gaps. Obviously there's a vacuum. So I'm just like, what could it be? And I didn't know, and there's so much anxiety not knowing what's causing all this. Finally, I did start asking. I did start digging. And I talked to some friends who I was really close to. And what they told me was that there was accusations against the main sheikh of having inappropriate interaction with his female students, like physically touching them in inappropriate ways and stuff like that. And, you know, this is not, I mean, in any situation that would be uh, horrific, but for us, it was more of a contrast because these guys are like, they're hyper strict about segregation even. Forget touching and anything, forget even like the clothing and the women covering up. They won't even sit in the same room, not even close to each other. Like it's this really, really extreme male-female segregation. And then to hear something like this with his married, so these women are married and they're married to his own students. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so it's just so shocking. Uh, yeah and such uh, an abuse of power exactly and he would and he would tell them things like you know if i kiss you you know you're going to get closer to a law and if i touch you here i touch you there that kind of stuff you know you just want to vomit when you hear these kinds of things and i couldn't believe it anyway that's what led to me uh getting out of it can you describe your feelings and your the emotions that you had to work through when you heard that and then how that led to your decision to change your life? This was harder to deal with than my baby passing away. Let me put it that way. So as hard as it is, you know, you, you lose a baby. Uh, you know, it's sad, but at the end of the day, you're like, this is this part of life and this happens. And it is extremely sad, but you can deal with it. You can cope with it. But dealing with like, there's this guy I thought who for 13 years, I was just madly in love with and just devoted to to find out that he's a fraud I mean that shook me up so badly I was depressed for about a year I was very very depressed I would go to bed every night just wishing I was dead I was just like I, I cannot oh, even handle said. yeah I was just like I can't handle it it's just too painful to even think about it really hurt and, and you know and my wife was in the same boat I mean she was probably not as much as me because she didn't interact with the representative the way I did although she did interact a lot with his wife which is a whole separate subject. The whole dynamic of the sheikh or the representatives' wives abusing the women. When I say abuse, I mean like all the stuff that they do to the guys, like breaking them down and uh, using them and manipulating them. There's like a parallel effort going on with the women through wow. the wife of the sheikh or the wow. representative. Just she was going through her own thing, and you know we compared notes. We had our our circle of friends that we trusted, all within the group. And we were all, you know, comparing notes with each other. And some friends had more access to information than other ones. So I learned that, like, this guy is just terrible. Like, he wasn't even just the sexual stuff. It was also financial fraud. It's so devastating to think about that. My whole world has been turned upside down. I didn't know what really to do. So what I eventually did do was I thought, okay, I don't know what's right and wrong anymore. So I'm going to just start with zero. And I don't even know what I believe. Because... You know, being a Muslim, if this is Islam, what these guys are, are teaching, you know, they wear all the clothes of 
you know, being religious people and all that stuff. If that's Islam, I don't want to be Muslim. That's really not what I'm interested in at all. And so I thought, okay, I'm just going to kind of go back and, and start from zero. So I thought, okay, do I even believe in this? Do I believe that there's a God? Do I believe that, you know, the Quran and, and the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him? And I decided, yeah, I do. Like, it does make sense to me. And I, and I feel like it resonates and, and, it, and it does add up. So I thought, okay, I'm going to stay Muslim, but I'm 100% against this sheikh student thing, Sufi thing that's going on here. Because I realized that the model gives too much power to the sheikh over the student. So if the sheikh for any reason becomes corrupt, he could just ruin so many lives because all these students think that they have to blindly obey the sheikh and it's disrespectful if they question anything. And I mean, that's just kind of the culture of the group, all these groups. And on the flip side, you know, the student is putting themselves at risk by doing this and they're going against the basic principle of Islam anyway, which is that you're submitting to God, you're not submitting to a person. They've intentionally inserted themselves as these layers in between. So you will become submissive or subservient to them. And then they claim they have the connection to God, whereas you can just have that connection to God on your own. That is exactly right. It, they actually do it in a very clever way. They would say, look, as the spiritual people, our goal is this whole idea of annihilation of yourself. But in annihilating yourself, you're actually going to a higher state because now you're, you've connected to a lot or something along those lines. I'm again having these echoes of other religious cults that I've learned about. I'm no expert, but just the little bit that I've learned. To use religion in that way, to manipulate people with religion is so cruel because your spiritual life is such a personal, important part to many people. And then to use that as an extra element of power and manipulation and then sort of of torture just seems I mean it's smart but it's cruel yeah no I, I agree with you 100% and that's part of what hurt me so much was that these people so this went from one extreme of like I think you're the best thing since sliced bread to all of a sudden no you're really evil people because you exactly what you said you're not only dishonest, you're not only sinning and all this stuff, you're deliberately manipulating the religion, the very thing that people came to you to sort of enhance in their life. You're using that to control them for your own benefit. And what do you even get out of it? You Maybe you finally you get some money, you get some power, you get some control over, over people and stuff. But I ended up talking to a couple experts on cults, actually, after I left and after I finally moved uh, back to, uh -huh. uh, to California. When I described both these people, the, the main sheikh in Pakistan and the, uh, the Khalifa or the representative in Chicago, both of them independently said the exact same thing, which was that they're malignant narcissists. Malignant? That was the term that they oh. Yeah, malignant narcissists. When I described the way they, you know, control people and they basically get slave labor out of them, <laughs> that description seems to be very accurate. What has become of them? Is the group still running and were there any repercussions for the sheikh with the sexual misconduct and financial misconduct? Did anything happen? Kind of, you know, so the sad thing is that I think that the general trend that I've, from the limited knowledge I have, is that when these groups get exposed, the people who know about it, some portion of them leave, but they just keep going. They just find new people to bamboozle and, and they keep going. So I think that's the case here with the main uh, sheikh in Pakistan. What I've heard was like roughly half of his, his students just left him. 
But that means still a huge number of people stayed with him. And those people just defended him blindly. They were just like, no, this is all conspiracy. It's not possible. You could never have done these things. And they just like reject anything. Why do you think people stay? After all, there's a lot, a lot of evidence. And this is not, again, just from your experience. I watched a documentary on Nexium, which was sort of a kind of religious-ish cult thing. And it was the same thing. Some people left and they were trying to tell the others in there, look what's going on. This guy is abusing people. It's mind control and all that. And others just kept defending him, this leader. I find that so fascinating. What is it? Is it almost like people have been brainwashed or you've believed something for so long you can't imagine that that can't be true? I think so. Yeah. I've thought about this a lot. So I'll, I'll give you a few examples. In my own circle of very close friends in Chicago, I told a lot of them. I was like, hey, here's what happened. Here's what I found out. And I thought they were going to be like, oh, my God, that's terrible. I'm out of here. Yeah. But that was actually not the normal response. By far, the majority of people were like, you know what? I get it. But, you know, he's helping me out. I'm just going to stay with him. And I was just blown away. Like, what are you talking about? Why would you stay with somebody that you know is doing these things that are wrong, you know? And so I thought about, like, why would they do that? I think there's a few reasons for it that I could think of. One is that some of them actually do have a lot to lose by leaving because they've already gotten rank from him. They have their own students. They have the title of sheikh themselves. So they're giving up all that. I mean, they're basically saying this whole construct that gives me legitimacy and gives me this sort of power, I'm telling you that this is all all BS and it's I'm just a regular person so so they would have to sort of be demoted ah they're so far in that exactly it would sort of ruin their it's a house of cards and they're living in it yep exactly (laughs) and now and to be fair there were other people who were very honest the other thing I noticed was that I think for a lot of people it was just too painful to accept this new reality like for example let's say there's somebody who's having trouble with their kids having other stress in their life and then on top of that, Yusuf comes along and I say, hey, guess what? Your, your sheikh is also a scoundrel and he's, he's a fraud. They came to the sheikh because they have stress in their life in the first place. And they're, they're looking for some peace. And then that becomes a source of stress. One of my closest friends who's in the group, we joined at the same time and everything. And I kept him abreast of everything almost in real time as I was learning it. I later found out he wasn't even really listening to anything. And in fact, he told me to my face, it was your fault that you went through everything you went through because you should not have dug. When you heard that there was a problem, you should have just said, I don't want to hear about it and just shut off from that, cut off all, all that information. Oh, wow. Almost if you yeah. put your head in the sand, then nothing is happening. Like if I can't exactly. see it, it must not be happening. Exactly. And that really, really shocked me and hurt me because I just couldn't believe Because I know his background, he, he doesn't come from that kind of background to be that way. But I didn't know that he was in it in that way that he could not even process. Um, you know, I'm his friend. Like, if he didn't trust me, who's he going to trust? But he just put all his faith into these guys. It's hard probably because it shakes your entire foundation of everything you think that you believe. Now you're having to reevaluate all of it. Exactly. I can imagine how difficult it is to step out of it. Like you said, that was your whole life. It was your social life. And you said it upended your your spiritual confidence, you had to kind of start from zero again. I mean, that had to be so challenging. You did it, but what was that process like? I know you even moved 
across the country and so i had internally sort of decided that like i'm done with what this sufi sheikh student business and my wife knew and my close friends knew but i did not have the guts to tell the representative in chicago now it was really sensitive because we were renting our house from him oh my. we lived around the corner from him yeah i mean this is how embedded i was in this thing my children were his children's friends our social circle 100 percent, was just his students so it was, we were just so, I don't even know how to describe it, but we were completely embedded into this group there in Chicago. So my wife was very, we were both very upset, but for her it wasn't as emotional as it was for me. So she emailed him. She said, look, we have a lot of questions. We don't know what's going on here. We're hearing all this stuff. So he said, okay, let's have a conference call with, with the three, like meaning, you know, Yusuf and my wife and him. So we jump on this conference call. And I honestly, I'm still hoping that somehow he can explain everything and everything will be okay. But he doesn't. In fact, he makes it worse. There's a bunch of excuses. It didn't make any sense. And that just confirmed for me that something is wrong and I absolutely should leave these guys. So at the end of the call, I said, look, I love you like my father and you've done a lot for me, but I can't do this anymore. And I'm not part of this anymore. And that was really hard for me to even say that. And so he said, okay, I'm okay with that. And he was sort of like, you got to do what you got to do. Something along those lines. I was like, whew, that was a relief. But the next day he contacts me and he wants to talk. And so then we talked privately for about over an hour. But by now, even by the next, very next day, I was so relieved and so checked out. Like it didn't matter what he told me anymore because he knew that I was out. So he gave me all these explanations about, you know, differently. He kept telling me to, you know, keep the conversation private. So I'll try to honor that. But the gist of it was that he was not saying anything to me that was convincing at all. Not to simplify it too much, but it kind of sounds like an abusive relationship where one person has been controlling and abusing, whether it's emotionally or physically abusive. And then the other person finally realizes it or says, you know, I'm leaving. And then the abuser's like, well, actually, no, you know, tries to talk you back into staying in the relationship. But the other one, you've already checked out. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a great uh, metaphor. And, and, you know, I'll let me tell you something really funny. I'm sort of fast forwarding a little bit, but at, at one point after this happened, we had another uh, meeting, me and my wife and the representative from Chicago. So in that meeting, he said something, himself said something really funny, which is that, Basically, he's a metaphor of a divorce. And he said, like, you know, once a person's divorced, can they ever love again? He said something like that. So he himself used a metaphor, which I think was a good metaphor. Yeah. It was like that. It was like a divorce. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I'm done with this relationship. And then how did how did your kids take it? Yeah, they're, they're the, probably the biggest victims of all this. They took it really, really hard because once all this stuff cleared up, that you know, it became crystal clear what was going on. I decided we have to get out of here because we're so embedded in this cult and I just got to get my family out somehow. But I didn't have any way to do it. Luckily, this job opportunity came up in the Bay Area. They offered me a, a contract role, but they were like, you got to start immediately. And so my poor kids, they knew some of what was going on, but you know, they're younger and they don't really even care about these things a whole lot. But what they do care about is their friends. And they, of course, care about leaving Chicago because to them, that's home. Out of the blue, I'm like, guess what? Our family's moving back to California because I got a job there. And they're like, what? And they were in total shock. They were furious, very, very upset. They're leaving what they felt was was their home that they grew up there. They were leaving all their friends, which they were really, really close to. And so that was the hardest part. One of the other things that happened was that this representative of Chicago 
he tried to put a lot of doubts in my mind about leaving. He didn't want me to leave. He would say like, oh, the company you're going to is evil or how are your kids going to take this? And if you have a child in high school, you cannot move in the middle of the year. And, and, and I could kind of see through all of it. The one thing that really got to me though was he said, well, what about your oldest daughter? You know, what about in her situation? How's she going to react to all this? And the way he worded it was so clever. It put so much doubt in my mind. And I started thinking, what is he? I don't even know what he's talking about. Is there something about her that I don't know? Like, is she in communication with him secretly? I don't know about it. Does my wife know something? Like, he just started all these doubts in my mind. And then, unfortunately, I start thinking, oh my gosh, she's going to commit suicide. She's going to, maybe he knows something that I don't know. Yeah, and that, it, but then I was just like, but I have to do this. Like, I don't know. Because part of me was like, he's just BSing and he's just trying to trick me. But part of me was like, but what if he's right? What if, what if oh, there is something that's going so on? so terrifying. Oh my God, it was so horrible. And so I actually had a had an anxiety attack because of that. I don't want to get crazy oh, details, so but a lot sorry. of stomach issues oh. for about three days. Yeah, it, it was bad. It was really, really bad. And my kids, you know, they're settled now. We've been here four years now. And the good thing is my wife has a ton of family in the Bay Area. And so they're very, very good, kind, loving people. So, you know, they just took us right in. And, and supported us and we, we lived actually with them for a little bit because I didn't have a house right away so that was that helped a lot in healing uh, but but it was it was very tough on the kids so how's your oldest daughter doing now is she she's settled in she's much there? better oh good initially she was very upset with me she, she didn't know any better she just thought like she just believed everything we'd been telling them all this time that these people are so wonderful yeah of course now all of a sudden she's I'm telling your, them they're not kids yeah yeah exactly but no, she, she's much older now. She's 19 and she started doing her own research. She finally also came to the conclusion that, yeah, that absolutely was a cult. And she actually exposed something which I didn't even know, which was that on the women's side, I didn't realize that his wife was doing similar stuff to the women, including the, the, the younger kids like my daughter. And what I didn't realize was that my daughter lived in constant fear. She was always scared that whatever she did, it wouldn't be approved by that Khalifa's wife and she just had that constant you know stress and I was like oh my god I had no idea that you even were going through any of that so that that really hurt a lot to find that out but also but, affirmed um, your decision to get out exactly you know I mentioned before how brave you are to speak out about this you've spoken out on Facebook as well the flip side to that is have you gotten any threats or reaction from people either still in the cult or just members of the community? It seems like a scary thing to do. That's a really good question. I have actually not gotten any threats directly at all. However, what did happen was multiple people told me that the Sheikh in Pakistan, he's comfortable using black magic. He himself won't personally do black magic on people, but he has students who, who will listen to him and if he has a quote-unquote enemy, he'll have them do black magic stuff on, on people. And I was like, you know what? First of all, if everybody's scared of this, then who's going to speak out against him and expose this guy and expose their corruption? So I'm not going to stop. That was my first thing. Second thing is that I just talked to some scholars. They said it's not a big deal. There's specific prayers you can do, and that protects you from this kind of stuff. So I just did that, and then I, did that. Then I didn't worry about it. So that was about it. The funny thing about his threat with the black magic is it's so desperate because if you're not putting your faith in him anymore, why would you believe that he could have any power over you? 
with the black magic or anything else. No, that's exactly right. It's just all part of this whole overall false sense of power and influence. Are there any practices that you learned while you were with them that actually are still helpful in your life today? Yeah, yeah, there are. So that's a really good topic, actually, is is just the whole idea of like, if you learn something good from somebody who's messed up, you know, should you still benefit from it? And the position I took was, yes, I should, because I believe like if you learn something useful or beneficial from anybody, why not just use it? So no, a lot of things were useful. Like one of the biggest things was their meditation. That always helped me. That was one of the things that attracted me to the group, and I, and I still try to do it. it helped me focus better, help me be more creative, actually. Because it's the idea is like you just get some quiet time and you just kind of focus on your heart and focus on uh, thinking about Allah. And that's also very relaxing. So I try to maintain that. They actually did have really good advice on how to treat your wife well, how to raise your kids a certain way. Not everything, but but a lot of things were good. So I, I try to maintain those types of things. And you know, the, the spending 13 years with them, it took me a long time to get out of a mind. Because what used to happen was especially when I first left and I was very, became very conscious of this, every little thing that would happen would remind me of some kind of saying or guidance or teaching from them. And it was really annoying because I couldn't do anything without remembering them. <laughs> and so, it's no wonder um, though, because that was so, your life for so long. Yeah, you're right. So I had to consciously kind of like retrain myself and say like, okay, this thing, I accept it. Fine. It's good. Or this thing, no, I don't believe in that anymore. I'm done with that. I'm not doing that anymore. And so now it's not like that. But in the beginning, it was like really tough. Like everything would remind me of uh, of those guys. I'm sure it was really challenging, not just physically moving your family and adjusting to a new job, but just emotionally and spiritually readjusting. Yeah, you know, I got this contract job opportunity in California. And then I told, you know, as I mentioned, I told my kids and they took it really hard, but we did it. We moved everything, all our stuff to California. I started the job. That was its own stress because it was like, I'm coming from one industry, healthcare, IT industry, which is very, very different into like Silicon Valley tech, which is just totally different pace. So I had that stress. And then also I had like dealing with my kids transitioning, getting them into the right schools, getting them settled in. And it was a really, really tough period uh, for about a year solid, I would say. It was, it was, it was and then really your difficult. own emotions. Um, you had mentioned that it was, Yeah. you also felt depressed and it was hard for you. So it's hard to be a dad and a employee and all of that on top of taking care of yourself. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. With all that going on, and I'm still sort of at that point was still getting over this whole like separation and stuff. But it was transitioning to, okay, I've accepted that these guys are messed up. I'm thankfully out of that scenario. So the healing could start, which was great. But then it started turning into like, man, these guys are terrible. They're ruining so many people's lives and I need to do something about that. You know, and I didn't know what to do then anyway. But that's kind of what it transitioned to was like kind of that worry of just like, God, they're hurting so many people and I know about it and I feel like I need to do something about it, which I later found out there's a term for it. It's called the savior complex where the person who leaves the cult feels like they have to save everybody else. So then I, later on, I learned it was like, okay, I can't save the world. I can't do everything. So I have to kind of just accept that, you know, I, I can, I can help whoever I can actually access, but things are, are, are really good now. Just the idea of uh, waking up and, and understanding how things actually are is a great feeling. And so I'm really grateful that I got pulled out of this group that I was duped by for so long. I'm so glad. And you have such a great perspective because 
you do realize there are some things that you learned that you can still incorporate into your life now. And things aren't just black and white, like the people there aren't all bad who are still following. I think you have a really generous perspective on the whole thing. Thank you. Thank you. That's very kind of you to say. I think that is a really important point of to, to not make it black and white because that's not real life. People aren't black and white either. You know, there's good and bad in, in everybody. And I think it takes some maturity and, and some effort to figure out what is good, what's bad. But I think it's important to do that. What are some tips or warning signs you'd give to somebody who might encounter something like this? The number one thing is what one of my friends told me when I was in the middle of figuring out what to do. So at that point, I was still in Chicago. I, I had just learned about all this stuff. I, in my mind, I was like, I need to leave these guys. But I was surrounded by just other cult members. And so I was just feeling like, God, there's, I, there's nobody I can talk to just who's from the outside who I can just get a straight answer from. By coincidence, one of my friends, his old, old friend from college, really nice guy, also religious and everything, but I, I trusted him and have, have a lot of respect for him. He happened to be visiting uh, Chicago, I think, for work. So I said, hey, can we meet at this one mosque? I wanted to talk to you about something. And he was really nice. We sat and talked. And he, he told me a lot of good things, but the, the thing that stood out the most and that really helped me a lot, he said, look, the one thing you have to do is you have to always retain your intellectual independence. Mm. So that phrase, intellectual independence, that was sort of like what clicked. I was like, that's what I was missing. I outsourced my intellect to these guys and that was my mistake so that's the number one tip i would share with everyone is always retain your intellectual independence when you notice that there's a charismatic leader whether it's religious or not i think it's just across the board if you notice somebody's like that you have to trust other people like you can't go to medical school every time you want to you know get some medical treatment or something like that you have to trust the doctor you have to trust your plumber that's okay but by doing that, you're not saying, hey, you do all my thinking for me. You're just sort of saying like, okay, I need this work done or I need this whatever done and I'm yeah. just trusting you. Advice um, from an I'm expert still, is one thing. You're getting yeah. advice. Exactly. So if, when you see that the person's trying to actually control you, that's the red flag. Just like run from that. And in the case of the Sufi group, and I imagine a lot of religious groups are like that, they're pretty open about it. They're pretty like, hey, you can't disrespect the sheikh. That part is sort of like understandable, but... By disrespect, they mean like, don't look at him in the eyes. Don't ever have even a, a doubt about him. If you see him doing something wrong, then assume that your eyes are lying to you and that he's not doing anything wrong. I mean, that's the kind of stuff they wow. would say. And that's that's huge yeah. for the end result of what happened. Don't trust your own eyes. Exactly. Therefore, we can get away with whatever right. we want to get away with. Exactly. So I think those are all uh, things to look for. Another thing I noticed was that they love to compare themselves to the main f holy figure of that religion. So for example, I know a lot of Christian cults that the leader will kind of think of himself as Jesus or kind of draw that uh, connection. In our case, it was the prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. And I found that really, really, not only offensive, but more proof that it's a cult. And so I think if you find that in, in any group where there's sort of putting the leader at the level of whoever the main figure is of that religion, that's probably like a bad sign. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you sharing all this with me, Yusuf, because it's really fascinating and heartbreaking and it's interesting and there's so many emotions that have gone on and then it's enlightening and I'm happy that you're in a good place now. So thank you so much. 
Thank you. Thank you so much for, for doing this. It's really nice to talk to you about it. And, and it is tough as it is. And it is tough. Like, I mean, you're experiencing some of those emotions as we're talking. But I think hopefully there's a greater good where, like, I, I really hope that other people will see that you can't just blindly trust anybody who comes along with a smile and, and you know, promising salvation. Yeah. Anyway, thank, thank you, you so much. You're welcome. I'm deeply grateful to Yusuf for sharing such a personal and painful journey. As he mentioned, his hope is that by doing so, he'll save others from going down a similar path. Here are some of my takeaways from our conversation. Number one, it's okay to rely on others for advice, but always retain your intellectual independence. Two, when you get deceived, it hurts. It can be depressing, but you can move on and move forward. Three, situations aren't completely black and white. People aren't all good or all bad. It's up to us to figure out the layers of gray. Four, if you learn something good or useful from people who are messed up, you can still incorporate it into your life. And finally, number five, when you know better, you can make better decisions for yourself, but you can't save everybody. A heartfelt thank you to Yusuf Azar for sharing his experiences with me. Please visit our website, theexperiencepodcast.net to listen to all of our past episodes, Find out how to follow us on social media and sign up for our newsletter. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please rate and review it and subscribe and tell a friend. I'm Elizabeth Pearson Gar. Thanks for joining the experience. Mm-hmm.